Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Capital Stories, where we talk to real people about real issues and explore intersections of life and faith to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus. Today, we're talking about a real issue, an important one. We're going to interview Katie Thomas, who's a counselor with the Christian Center of Park City, and she works specifically with teens and young adults. Yeah. And teenagers, you know, as a parent of teenagers, two of them now, um, they're scary. <laughs> they're scary. They're scary and such great little humans and scary too. And so I loved listening to mm. your interview with her because it just dove a little deeper mm. into things that I'm thinking about and talking about with parents all the time. Yeah. And much of what we talk about is uncharted territory. Right. I mean, you sort of read this article and read that article and think about this and, you know, and, and try to figure out what's right and best. Yeah. And I feel like she has just good sort of anecdotal, actual, you know, mm. experiences mm-hmm. talking to these teenagers and talking to parents, but also just this education yep. and this broad understanding right. of some of these issues. So yeah. um, I really hope that you enjoy listening, uh, listening to Katie and yeah. all of her insight. Yeah. Insight that is so grounded in her faith too. Yes. So yes. here is Katie Thomas on Capital Stories. Katie, I'm so glad you're here. And Thanks. I'm excited to talk to you today. If listeners, if you don't know Katie, let's see, let's give us a, a background on you at Capitol. You and Jeff, your husband, have been around Capitol for how many years now? Since uh, college, yeah, at since least. 2011. Okay. And you have served with the teens in the past, but now you can get a latte or a coffee from, yep. from Jeff or Katie in the cafe. And they've been around and serving at Capitol for a while. And professionally, Katie, fill in the blanks for me if I'm missing something here, but you've been a practicing associate clinical mental health counselor with the Christian Center of Park City for the better part of a year, specializing in teens and young adults. Before that, even you had some background in recreational therapy and even treating teens and young adults with substance abuse. So an expert in this topic we're going to dive into today, which is great. But before we get into some of these questions, there's a lot we want to talk about. I want to hear from you first, if you don't mind just sharing what you feel like you know, God used to lead you to this profession in the first place? Like, why'd you choose counseling? And particularly, why among teens and young adults? Awesome. So I had a unique opportunity in high school to work as a behavioral therapist with a young boy named Trey, who was on the autism spectrum. He really opened up my eyes to kind of occupational therapy and social, emotional development. Mm -hmm. And as I graduated from high school, I was like, man, it would be my dream to teach kids on the autism spectrum how to like ski, uniting my two (laughs) passions, right? So here we go. I go to school at the University of Utah, and that's what I major in, recreational therapy. I was like, you majored in skiing? or like, (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of both. (laughs) I'd ski all day and then go to class. Common experience here. (laughs) Yes, very common. And so that's what I, that was my first like clinical experience was being a recreational therapist, which most people don't even know what that is. It's a leisure-based therapist. So when Mm. people really experience trauma or accidents that inhibit them physically or mentally, Mm -hmm. they have a hard time re-engaging in leisure-based activities. Mm -hmm. And so that's my role is to create an atmosphere where it's safe and comfortable to re-engage. Sometimes that looks like mountain biking and skiing, and sometimes that looks like social skills and life skills. Sure. So anyway, then I had an opportunity to work at uni, which I think is called now the Huntsman Institute. And that was my first taste in 2014 to really working with people hospitalized for mental health stuff. From there, I 
moved on to working at adult substance abuse and then into teen outpatient. And I've been at the Christian Center since March of 2020. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. That's, yeah. that's wild. Like First day, March 16th. No. When the world closed. Wow. And so I've been a mental health therapist since then. Wow. Navigating, you know, a pandemic yeah. and my own health. I mean, this is maybe a good segue into this topic because like I wanted to start from with this quote from this book that Tara and I were kind of using to prepare for this episode. And the book is called New Adolescents Raising Happy and Successful Teens in an Age of Anxiety and Distraction. And I was flipping through this book and was surprised to see that it was published in February of 2020. And, and you started in March of 2020. And all of this is just before the pandemic, which we, we all know has just made this, this issue so much more acute and so much more talked about, you know, for sure. And just so much more prevalent, right? And <laughs> so this was an issue before you dove into it. So anyway, let's let's talk about mental health in teens. And this quote from that book, I mean, so the book starts, this literally opening paragraph, and it says, now is a terrifying time to be a parent. And it says, teens today are suffering from an epidemic of anguish that cannot be ignored. Fewer than half of today's teens would rate their own mental health as excellent or very good. And last year, this is again before the pandemic, almost one third of high schoolers felt so sad or hopeless that they stopped doing their usual activities almost every day for two or more weeks in a row, and nearly 20% seriously considered suicide. And I'm just, I'm wanting to know what you just make of these stats. And just, can you share more from your own knowledge and your own experience, just about the scope of this issue in general, when it comes to teens mental health? Absolutely. I want to just share a few facts post the pandemic that have come out at the end of 2021 in October. Okay. That are Shocking, but not surprising, unfortunately. So teens experience increased screen time that wasn't school related, right? We're locked at home. We're just mm -hmm. on our phones. Sure. Fewer students were reporting getting less than eight hours of sleep at night. Total increase of social isolation. A lot of teens, their life is whatever sport or activity they're into. And so mm -hmm. because they couldn't play soccer or weren't in that school play they had no purpose of living. Sure. Probably what's most troubling is that youth are less likely than in previous years to seek out help from their parents mm. or like friends. And I'm wondering if that's because parents are also struggling post pandemic and teens often have this mantra of I'm a burden. Mm. So I don't want to impact my parents with my own stuff. Interesting. I mean, so like we're all dealing with the effects of the last few years and just how that's impacted our world and our, our, our norms. Right. And teens are internalizing that potentially in a way that says, I don't want to be an extra burden because I can see <laughs> the burden that the rest of my family, my friends are also experiencing. That's, that's an interesting factor I hadn't considered. Yeah. It's kind of one of the teens most common negative belief is mm. I'm a burden. I'm not enough. You touched on a few topics that kind of, you know, I, like the things that maybe cause quote or, or contribute to this issue. You mentioned, you know, the, the lack of sleep, the screen time and the social isolation. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what it is about those things that, that contribute to, to this issue. Like, can you break it down for us a little bit to understand, you know, I feel like it's easy to just cop out answer and say, well, kids need more sleep. Kids should be on social media less, but like, what is it about those things 
that make such an impact on mental health? Let's just start with the social media, right? It's a new technology that all of us, children, teens, adults are navigating, right? Having this total access in our hand at right. all time. And as adults, our brains are fully developed. And so we are, most of us are able to <laughs> set our own limits and regulations of, mm. oh, wow, my eyes hurt. I'm going to put this down. Or, mm. wow, I need to connect with my spouse or my friends. I'm going to use it more as a tool. Teens don't necessarily sure. have the brain development yet to regulate that. Mm. And so unless there's a parent that is helping teach time limits, often what's advised for middle schoolers, and then healthy regulation for the high schoolers because we want them to be prepared to move on mm -hmm. without hovering parents. Right, right. Their brain is just constantly being stimulated and they're not able to really differentiate between what what the rest of their body needs because yeah. like social media is designed to be addictive, sucked mm -hmm. into that black hole. And then on top of that, they're being exposed to things that their brain is also not like ready to see, mm. whether that be pornography or violence. The brain is just not prepared for all of this stuff that they're constantly yeah. consuming. Yeah. So like an example for me is like I could have social interactions at school, but when I went home, I had 15 plus hours away from my friends. Right. Right. I wasn't constantly connecting or snapping them or seeing their TikToks or scrolling through Instagram. Right. Yeah. So then I would see them again at school and it would be a fresh new social interaction and we'd actually want to talk to each other mm. because I wasn't going to see them yeah. after I left right. school. Interesting. So the overstimulation, even just socially, socially quote, like it's not you could argue that it's not a true social interaction. It's a, it's this artificial space mm -hmm. with a social component mm -hmm. that's always on mm -hmm. and super stimulating at all times. And, and let's talk about it being artificial, right? You're showing the best parts of you. Mm. So teens are constantly in this space of comparison and body image. And am I having enough fun? Does it look like I'm having fun? Yeah. Oh, my friend isn't snapping me back. And that means they must not like rejection. me. Yeah. So they're constantly experiencing rejection, overstimulation, pressure. And all of this, you know, in a, in a teen's mind, in anyone's mind, really, mm -hmm. but especially in teens, underdeveloped minds, just leads to this, this downward spiraling thinking of I'm not good enough. This is not worth it. And so then their brains are staying in this, this hyper or hypo aroused state of being like anxious overstimulated or the hypo aroused state of like just being depressed and they're not getting a break, right? They're not necessarily having the opportunity just to like have simple, simple time, be outside, disconnect unless yeah. there are some boundaries of like, okay, no phone time, no screen yeah. time, or we're in the woods and there's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> right. I, have you watched that? I think it was on Netflix, a social is it social dilemma? Yep. It's the, it was, it came out recently ish, like within the last few years, I mm -hmm. remember watching it and just the idea of it's, it's basically interviewing these people who work for some of these social media companies and, and not to like pin all of this on the social media mm -hmm. company. Like there's, this is a complicated and multifaceted issue. Right. But it was so fascinating to me that the component of that documentary where they're interviewing people who used to work at these places and they themselves could see 
the the issues with these products, you know, where really the teens and the, the users are the product because <laughs> we're not paying for this product, you know, the social media platform. And they, they noticed these issues and put, you know, boundaries on them for their own children, would not use it themselves. And they, they could recognize it from the inside. And it's unfortunate that not everybody has the luxury of knowing that these things are potentially a problem mm -hmm. to set the, the healthy boundaries on them. And it can be pretty detrimental. But what was most shocking for me about that film was like the notifications. Our phones mm -hmm. notice, oh, you haven't been on Facebook for seven hours. I'm going to just send you a notification of someone's birthday. To get, to get you on the platform. And then sure enough, you'll be scrolling for a few minutes and whatever. Four hours. Right, right. right. That's all it takes is mm -hmm. the, the one opening to mm -hmm. get to get in the door. And so I think a thing to help parents with this is like talking about what are healthy boundaries. It's, it's going with this changing times of social media is a part of your kid's life. You can't yeah. just like cut it out. That's going to be an automatic rejection. That yeah, I'm glad you're kid. talking about this. There's pros and cons, but finding ways to like really integrate, okay, how do I teach them healthy boundaries, teaching them about what is good for their well-being, mm -hmm. being like well-rounded. Are you exercising? Are you eating? Are you engaging in real time with friends? Yeah. And then, okay, your phone or social media is a tool. It can be a fun tool. It can be a good distraction. It can help with communication. Yeah. And so parents are able to put on time limits and blocks mm -hmm. they can be in tune and like block certain websites so mm -hmm. we're reducing the chance of a kid coming across something they shouldn't see a really sad statistic is that most teens are exposed to pornography before the age of 12 12 12 wow right and it's like they're not sneaking out to the family computer in the living room anymore. Sure. It's on their phone in their bedroom at night. Like, yeah, it's scary. And like, to, you're not to, thinking you about don't that. think about that. Mm -mm. Yeah. So yeah, healthy boundaries. Parents can be in charge of this. And I, you know, it's interesting. It, it requires a level of like bravery and acknowledgement of like, you know, I've, I've read all these stats. I know that this is an issue. Let's do the math and figure that, okay, you know, a family of, for kids, if 20% of kids face these things, like that's at least one of your kids, you know? Mm -hmm. So man, it's, it's a scary reality, but if you can kind of be brave to face that mm -hmm. and start the conversations and, and set those limits in a, in a healthy way through a conversation, mm -hmm. man, that's, that's encouraging. That's hopeful to me at least. Totally. And leading by example, right? If I'm on my phone scrolling, what am I teaching my kids? Sure. We don't experience boredom anymore. That's a really big mm. thing for teenagers is like, if I'm bored at the doctors, I pull out my phone. If I'm bored at a red light, don't tell, you know, <laughs> you pull out your phone, right? Sure. And that's not, not what our brain needs. Our brain needs time to just turn off for a minute. Yeah. And so a discipline I created for myself was like, I don't listen to anything on my way home from work. Interesting. And I'm driving from Park City to Taylorsville, right? <laughs> like that's a long drive yeah. to not be stimulated, but I need my brain to Just download, decompress. right? I don't need to consume anymore. Yeah. And teens aren't thinking about that. No, they're just trying to consume. consume. No offense to the teens. It's just like, that's, you know, the environment around us is, is meant for that. It's like, mm -hmm. here's more, here's more, here's more, here's more. Mm -hmm. And we're not, unless we're intentional about saying, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to stop. It, it won't happen. So social media and then moving on to kind of the sleep, like they're yeah. distracted at night. Mm. If, if there isn't a time limit that says no phone after eight, 
If there isn't a time limit, like they can be on their phone up until two o'clock. Yeah, yeah. They're watching movies, shows on Netflix, right? FaceTime with their friends. Mm. And then they're just not falling asleep, right? Yeah. And we know that there's blue light and we need right. some time not to be on our phone so yeah. that our brain can turn off. Yeah. And and again, just like this, I'm sure it's been, we can talk, I want to talk more in a minute about just this pace of change mm -hmm. that our culture's experienced, but it leads me in this topic to think about parents, I wouldn't feel equipped to know what conversations to have and what parameters to put mm -hmm. around some of these things because it's also new. These weren't issues that my parents had to think about no. when I was growing up. And, you know, so it's like I have this context in my brain about what parenting would be like for when I have teenagers. And it's just not the same world. I kind of grieve that with the idea of like when we do have children, like there are things that I don't get counsel from my parents about. Mm. They yeah. didn't experience the same stuff that I'm going to have to experience, right? Like, And so the parents that do have it right now, they're, they're experiencing things that no one can give them really guidance yeah. for. Yeah, it's, so, we're, we're building the ship as, it, as it's sailing, you know? It's, mm -hmm. it's, we're learning as we go. So which, if you're not doing these things, like don't say, don't give yourself shame or guilt sure. because I'm not putting up boundaries or I don't even know how to navigate what social media apps are out there. It's... This is an opportunity to educate. There's always, you can always start somewhere. That's, that's mm -hmm. the hope there is you can always start somewhere. I want to touch on one other thing before I move on to this, you know, this kind of rapid pace of change that society's face. And I want to get your take. I've heard that this is such a more like common issue here in Utah relative to other places. Like I've heard this stat, I don't know if it's true, but that Utah has one of the top or the top rate of, you know, people being on antidepressant, anti-anxiety meds than anywhere else in the country. And I wondered if that's, is that true? Is that true for teens? What's your take on this as far as like here being here in Utah? Yeah, nationwide suicide is the second leading cause for death for teenagers. Mm. And in Utah, it's the first. I did not know that. Horrifying. And then on top of that, in 2015, the University of Utah came out with a really fascinating article that shows that the reduced oxygen experience at higher altitude can lead to depression. Really? So now we're just taught, like we're just talking about an environmental component that we didn't even acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Now causing depression, right? But you see that along the Rocky Mountains, there are higher rates of depression and suicide. Interesting. Because simply not simply, yeah. but because of oxygen at yeah, higher altitude. That is one contributing factor mm -hmm. potentially. Wow. And so you have, the way I kind of break it down is you have the environmental causes for depression and then you have just the biological causes for yeah. depression. And unfortunately, it's really hard to tear those two apart. Right. Chicken and also egg. also intertwined. Right. But. And that's interesting that like when I heard these stats at first when I moved to Utah almost 10 years ago, now it was, it was around the, like my perception was it's really high here depression, anxiety, and these things because of just the societal pressure to be perfect here. And, you know, the, the kind of dominant culture is to, to be a, it's, it's a workspace sort of mentality of like, you've, you've got to be together. You've got to put everything like this, this, this front of perfection. Right. And so that was my perception. I didn't even think about the fact that like, well, we're high elevation. Mm -hmm. That doesn't help things out either. Man. Interesting. There's a huge perfectionistic culture yeah. and, 
on top of that, there's so much over-programming for our mm. teens these days, mm. right? If a kid is semi-good at volleyball or lacrosse, they're not just playing high school sports. They're in clubs. They're traveling all over. There's just like you're either the best or you're not engaged in it. Sure. And so now teens now teens are having this pressure to excel mm. instead of just being able to like have fun. It's like too much of a good thing almost. Mm -hmm. Like I, I hate to be, I don't want to pass any judgment on these sorts of things because I know lots of parents and, te and teens who are involved with like a club thing, right? It's, it's so fun and it's, mm -hmm. it's like cool to excel to that degree, mm -hmm. right? And it's inspiring to see that. But at, on the flip side of that, man, the pressure that that can create on top of trying to be a normal teenager in school. You know, I hadn't thought about this, you know, before we started talking today, but that reminds me of just the whole thing we saw with Simone Biles and her example at the Olympics most mm -hmm. recently, mm -hmm. and just that pressure that she expressed. And, and, you know, that's like the extreme degree of what we're talking about here, but it's kind of the same thing as well. You know, we're expected to excel. Mm -hmm. You're kind of being put in the, the one thing to the highest degree that you can. And, it can be taxing on on a kid, right? I mean, if you just consider all the time they're in school, then they have a practice and then they have to eat, but then they have to do homework. When are they sleeping? And then they want to connect with their friends socially or they're traveling. Right. When are they able to engage with their family? Social pressure to perform well, but also be a good student just raises the anxiety levels. Yeah. And then let's say you don't do well. Or you sure. don't make the team and all of a sudden you're crushed. It's a lot to deal with. It's a lot to deal with. And what I know from my work with teens is the issues that adults think about versus what teens think about is the adults will be like, ah, that's not a big issue. That's mm -hmm. not a big deal. Just kind of get over that. But this is like the teens world. Right. Even though they were in a relationship for one month <laughs> and the breakup happened, yeah. like that is their first interaction with a romantic relationship and right. they experienced rejection for the right. first time. Right. Right. The, the gift of perspective is something that may be easy to take for granted, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's one thing to look back on like your high school years and, and think, man, that was devastating at the time, but have the, the hindsight about it now. I, I could I could take for granted that a teen doesn't have that hindsight quite yet. There's no hindsight because yeah. a lot of it's their very first. They've right. never not made varsity. They've never not had a friend sit with them at lunch or a friendship go awry. There's a whole new phenomenon of like ghosting your friends, right? Mm. Like if we're not talking in person and then they stop talking to me on social media, we mm. just like ghost them, meaning like, we're not engaging anymore. We're not friends anymore. Hmm. I never had friend breakups growing up, yeah. right? Like, unless I moved, <laughs> <laughs> right? but we weren't talking so constantly that mm. you could notice a trend when we stopped talking. Interesting. I have a, a 10 year old niece and this is just making me think about like, she has like a, a Facebook messenger kind of app for kids. And, you know, occasionally I get a message from her. And I'm, I'm one that I'm, I'm not always on my device and I like miss messages <laughs> occasionally. And this is making me think like, oh my goodness, I want to like have a conversation with her just to talk to her about my use of this device. So if I ever don't respond in 30 seconds, she's not like, oh my gosh, does my uncle hate me? 
<laughs> you know, but I can imagine that's the reality that, that kids are experiencing with their friends. Like I'm waiting for a response. I'm waiting for a response. I'm waiting for, do they hate me? Yep. And then the anxiety is building, building, building. They haven't talked to me in five hours. We're not friends anymore. Oh. It's like, okay, well, let's learn some conflict resolution. <laughs> yeah. And let's equip these young minds about those boundaries with mm -hmm. the devices to think this is not ever, this, your world does not exist on this device. It mm -hmm. doesn't have to, man. Okay. This is kind of all kind of leading, leading me to this, this question about just this, this pace of change that society's experienced and just the challenges that creates for navigating parenting and, and just teenagerhood. You know, there's this element also of identity that has just changed over time. You know, you can think about on, on the one hand, being a teenager is being a teenager, you know, and it's always hard. It's always, you know, you're trying to figure out who you are and how you fit in. And parents who went to high school, you know, 30, 40 years ago, probably feel like they understand to a degree, like what's going on in their kids' lives. But at the same time, things have changed so much now. And there's elements of kids' identity that are just being considered differently now than when they were even in the recent past you know, and particularly around things like sexuality and gender identity. However, we might think about those particular issues and, you know, react to that, whether we think it's, it's just completely bizarre, not even worth our time to talk about, or just straight of the devil. In some ways, to me, it doesn't really matter because it's a reality that kids are facing these days. You know, one, either themselves, or two, through a friend directly that they know, or three, just like, in their schools being exposed to these sorts of things. And it's a, it's a norm of society to, to be talking about these issues. And so that's a lot, but I'm wondering if your, your take on, on that and what parents and, and people who love teens can, can do to like, I don't know, set some more healthy parameters in a, in a kid's brain about identity, mental health around those issues. I think, What's important to start with is recognizing the stage of development that they're in. So there is this theory by Eric Erickson. And the two stages of development that we're talking about now are for middle schoolers and high schoolers, really. So the first stage is like age six to 11. So this is typically the middle school years. And the stage of development that they're in is industry versus inferiority. And so during this stage, the child is starting to become a lot more capable of like complex tasks. So they're like, let me do it. I can do this. And what they're wanting to develop, the skill they want to develop is competency. Hmm. And the question that they have in their head is, how can I be good at this? Hmm. And what's the most important to them is school, hmm. right? Engaging in a healthy school environment and just, you know, finding confidence instead of feeling I am inadequate. And so at this age, they are really wanting to have encouragement that they are doing well, hmm. that they are confident that they can perform, they can do math, that someone's going to show up and help them if they need it, instead of saying like, you're not good at that. Hmm. You're not fit enough or fast sure. enough or smart enough, right? They just want to know, like, how can I be good? And so parents at this age really just encouraging, not doing it for them, sure, but helping them feel competent and empowered. And then we move on to the teen years, the adolescents, and typically 12 to 18-year-olds. And their role now is identity versus role confusion, mm. right? And this is a really difficult time because 
everything seems confusing. Who am I? What am I? Where do I belong? And now what's more important to them is not school. It's social. Mm. Everything's social. Yeah. And so they want to know, like, where do I belong? And I want to feel like I'm important and I have some independence and I want to be unique. And so sometimes that uniqueness goes in all directions, sure. right? It's not just a good soccer player. It can be from what they wear, how they speak, how they sure. identify. And so at this stage, parents and teens are starting for the very first time to really separate, right? They're starting on this path of now my teen is getting closer and closer to leaving the home and being their own being. Right, right. And that's why there's a lot of conflict, right? <laughs> Parents want you to continue to stay involved as a family member and spend your time with them mm-hmm. and do what they are asking you to do and follow the rules. Sure. And then teens are like, I'm my own person and this is who I want to be and I want to have freedom and my whole world is my friends. Anytime there's a friend conflict, that's going to shatter them. And so at this point, we want to allow our teens to have experiences to develop like their identity Mm. and really like step into like who they want to be and develop that self-confidence. The things that really struck identity are their gender identity, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, their religion or spirituality, what are their abilities, the social economic statuses and their nationality. Mm-hmm. A lot of these things they can't really control, True. right? But they call them the big eight that are really impacting teens socially, physically, or mentally. Those eight components of a person's identity. And and the, the piece about it that's very interesting to me is, you know, we've, we've probably all known and have talked about some of those eight, you know, and they're visible components of our identity sometimes. Mm-hmm. But the, the components that are less visible and more, I, I guess they're just more prevalently talked about now, are those ones that I think parents, if I were to guess, feel less equipped to have conversations around mm-hmm. and even know the right answers to like, how do I even address this? Mm-hmm. You know, like I was talking to a parent recently who, you know, even like how like in, in their middle school, navigating just gender pronouns, like that's a whole new thing that was, I had never heard of that as a, as a thing to consider when I was growing up. And now it's very common to, to talk about that in in a middle school environment. Mm -hmm. And so just the, I don't know, I, I can picture parents being at a loss for like, wait, what now, Mm -hmm. you know, and without passing any judgment on those sorts of these topics whatsoever, it's like, what do I, how do I, I don't know <laughs> as a parent, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't, I don't know, like, how can you counsel a parent and teen through even, even that? And let me give you one more example. I mentioned before we recorded this, that Tara was talking about a friend of hers who has a teen at a, at a private institution here in Salt Lake, who is navigating like what to do with this, this issue where, where teens are identifying as as furries. And I'm like, wait, I I had to Google this. And it was like this whole thing where they're like, kind of sort of personifying themselves as, as animals. You know, my first thought, again, not to pass judgment was, this is bizarre. It's just new to me. I have what, you know, that's my reaction. And yet here we are. It's a reality in this, this, this teen social context. 
what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? And we add in the sexuality component, right? Most parents are hoping their teens aren't even engaging sexually at their age. <laughs> yeah. And yet now all of a sudden they're choosing their sexual orientation. So it's all so complex. And what you did a great job about was educating yourself. Mm. So that would be the first thing to advise parents. Like instead of saying, ah, furries, what? Like learn about it. What does it mean mm. for them? versus what it may be meant for you growing up, sure. which are different. And it's going to help with the connection, right? Like if you semi know what you're talking about, mm. they're going to say like, whoa, mom has some brownie points because mm. she actually knew what this was instead yeah. of me having to start fresh over and try to explain it. Sure. Plus, you have an opportunity to digest it and process it on your own before engaging with your kid about it. Sure. Are you less caught unaware mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's such a these are such difficult identities to navigate with your teen about and this again is what creates all this parent teen conflict and something i talk a lot about in counseling with parents is you have an opportunity to mm. either choose being right over mm. the relationship or the relationship over being right mm. And what is right, hmm. right? You can stick to your grounds and say your beliefs and that's how it's supposed to be for your kid. Or you can choose a relationship. Hmm. And I mean, we're taught to be in relationship with each other hmm. and love each other. And so I would advise like choosing the relationship over whatever your teen is navigating as long as they're staying healthy and right. safe. And you don't have to agree with them. Mm. Right. This is an opportunity to also teach conflict resolution. Mm. Right. Mm. You don't have to say, I support this. You have the opportunity not to reject your child. Sure. And the rejection is really what leads most kids to suicide, mm. high anxiety or depression. Mm. Right. Mm. Again, I don't belong. And that's my stage of development. I need yeah. to belong. That's tricky. You know, you kind of hinted at your your own practice here and kind of how you counsel parents and, and teens, I want to kind of shift to things some that are practical here. Whether it's a teen listening right now themselves, or maybe a parent or grandparent or someone who, who loves a teen, can you just walk us through some of the typical concerns that, that come into your office, you know, from your clients and what kind of strategies and tools do you find that is, that is helpful for those people? Like, where do you often start when it comes to your client comes in the door with XYZ concern? Often... The warning signs that a family member might notice that will lead them into my office are some of the following. Maybe a rejection or a recent breakup where mm. the kid is just crying, a total loss of like friendship, not making a sports team and just like having no desire to go to school anymore. Mm. If there's been a change in the house, such as a divorce or a move, just a teen acting super anxious, a death of a loved one, surgery. What's encouraging to me is like, these are, you know, in my mind, these are things that are not always life altering. Like I wouldn't think, oh, you know, XYZ happened, I should seek counseling. But for a teenager, that might be different where like, this mm -hmm. is a life altering thing in, mm -hmm. in their you know, 15 years of life. Mm -hmm. Let's find someone who can help us talk through this transition in a healthy way, you know, mm -hmm. and just that counseling doesn't have to be a lifelong thing. It's like, let's talk through this transition mm -hmm. <laughs> that you're experiencing. Adjustment disorder is an actual diagnosis, mm -hmm. which basically is just a period of time where someone is struggling. Mm -hmm. And so some of the other ones I want to just mention that are kind of warning signs of like, hey, we maybe need to get my 
teen some extra help Mm -hmm. is just withdraw or negative self-talk of nothing's going to get better. Mm. I'm not enough. I'm a burden. Mm. Self-isolation, risky behavior, whether they're not coming home for curfew, driving really fast, Mm self-harming, drinking or drugs, and a change in hygiene, Mm. right? Oversleeping, undersleeping, not taking showers or brushing their teeth. The biggest one I think with the teenagers is this loss of interest. If they used to love to go skateboarding or they love to hang out with some certain friends mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they just have no interest in doing those things, like that's a huge warning sign of like something is up. Again, that's their world. Those are the things that make life worth living. And that's why yeah. COVID was so hard is because the things that made life worth living was like not accessible yeah all taken away mm-hmm. in, a, in an instant can't see my friends can't go play yeah. on a team sport so those are kind of the things that lead into someone coming to see me and then what i often see is just the need for communication between the teen and the parent mm. teen completely thinking my mom just doesn't get it mm. Mom's never been a teenager, which is like so funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. But as we said earlier, mom's never been a teenager now, which is its own thing. But And just working on some basic communication of mom's going to be there. Mom cares about you. She's going to not leave you or reject you. So communication is like the first thing that we really, really work on. Sure. Are your sessions like with the teen, with the parent and the teen or like what is what is What's common in, you know, counseling teens with mental health Mm -hmm. concerns? Both for me. As long as a teen is living in a family dynamic, I think the family needs to be involved because a teen is not able to make and implement all these changes just on their own. And a lot of the conflict is often with parents or parents need to help support, Mm -hmm. especially if it's like a safety issue. Do you have parents who come in on their own like... I'm struggling with my teen. I have no Mm -hmm. idea what to to make Mm -hmm. of it. And they won't come here. Goodness sakes, I know that, but I need help. Absolutely. Sure. And so sessions look like just a parenting session or a joint teen parent session or a lot of times just the teen session so I can really work on that relationship and Mm -hmm. rapport so they can trust me enough to take some advice. Sure. Right? Often teens really just need another adult figure that's going to pour into them. Mm -hmm. And that's what's beautiful about youth groups or sports teams where there's a loving, kind adult that will guide them. Because parents know nothing, right? (laughs) No, it's funny. I even remember this part. Like, man, you know, mom or dad could say X, Y, or Z, but it was invalid until the coach said X, Y, or Z. (laughs) It's like, oh, that's insightful. (laughs) I So I want to acknowledge that there has been this just pretty intense strain on mental health counselors and especially during your part of your career and this, you know, starting through the pandemic and just, I've been hearing about like just the waiting lists to like get an appointment in general. And so I'm curious, you know, what, what you'd recommend to parents and to teens is like a starting, obviously there's no replacement for good counsel. And, and I, I wouldn't say these things, like don't give us advice as far as like do this instead of counseling but like do this while you're waiting for counseling or do this as a starting point. Like what are some of those things that you recommend anyone can do before or, you know, before they get into the counselor? So often people get discouraged and they just don't get on a waiting list. So I would totally recommend that even before there is a crisis that you establish with a mental health provider, establish with your general doctor. Why not establish with a mental health provider so that there is a relationship already created 
And when a crisis arrives sometime during the teen years, no matter how large or small, you have a place to go because it's really always hard to just like open up and share everything and create a relationship right when you're in the middle of crisis. So go get on a waiting list so that your teen can connect with someone before something large yeah, happens. That's that's so helpful. I would never think to do that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you mentioned your colleague, Nicole, who did another episode with us about marriage counseling. It reminds me of that episode where they talked about, you know, I just love the couples who come in to say, we want to be better. <laughs> you know, there's no crisis. There's nothing mm-hmm. like that, you know, would warrant in their minds, like we need therapy now, but they're just you know, laying the groundwork, you know, and that, that applies for our own personal counseling too, where it's like, you know, this could go awry anytime. We don't expect it to, but when it does, let's have the resources that are at our disposal. Not that counselors are disposable, but. <laughs> right. And at this time, it's kind of cool and trendy for teens to have a therapist. So oh, go for that. You know, like I'm loving it. We're decreasing this, the, the stigma. stigma. So if your teen mentions it all like, hey, maybe I should th- see a therapist, it doesn't necessarily mean something huge is happening. Mm. Like it's just yeah. a safe place to process feelings and emotions and yeah. learn skills. So yes, therapy first. And the other thing that is really helpful is not being afraid to ask the hard questions, mm. right? So most of us are trained in CPR, right? If someone chokes or we stop breathing or we know how to do CPR. Right. So in the mental health world, there is something called QPR. Okay. And what that stands for is question, persuade, and refer. And Mm. so basically there is trainings or you can just educate yourself really online is one Q, question the individual's desire or intent regarding suicide. It doesn't have to be suicide. Depression, anxiety, why are you crying? Why are you not engaging mm-hmm. with your friends anymore? Like, mm-hmm. ask the question. Two, persuade the person to seek and accept help. Mm. Like, I'm here for you. Your friends are here for you. Your aunt's here for you. The therapist mm-hmm. is here for you. And then three, refer the person to appropriate resources. Yeah. Let's get you involved in the youth group. Let's sign you up for some sports. Get into a pottery class. Yeah. Right? So this is designed for suicide prevention. And a lot of parents and just people think, if I ask the hard question, are you suicidal? I'm going to put something in their mind. Mm. Are you self-harming? Oh, I'm going to educate them about self-harming. Well, the research is telling us they're already thinking about it. They've already been Mm. exposed earlier on than you ever even want them to. And so you just acknowledging and being a safe place to like, hey, you can come to me with the hard stuff. I'll ask you the questions. And even if they if they push back and say, ew, mom, no, you know, like teens do, <laughs> yes. at least they know that like you're attuned to mm-hmm. them and yeah. you're interested in them and you want them to yeah. know that they are safe. And it's everything's okay to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's great. I think parents don't always realize how much their kids look up to them and are just mirroring their behaviors, right? And so if you're sad and pessimistic about the world, like inevitably that's Mm. gonna be passed down. And so as a parent, like really the best thing that you can do for your kid is like making sure that your heart and soul and mind are in the right place Mm. and that you are working on your own stuff Mm. so that your depression or anxiety is under wraps and 
being taken care of because it's a hard world. Like parenting is not easy and living is not easy (laughs) some days, right? Let alone like managing a teenager. They're watching and they're learning. And even if they rebel against it subconsciously, like they're picking up on every little thing that you see and all of your habits. If you're constantly on the phone or distracting or numbing out versus you allowing your brain some rest time and Mm. just simplifying and you making good sleep and nutrition a priority, they're going to learn from you. As we close, you know, I'm I'm wondering just what you might share. You know, this, the whole point of this channel is to find intersections of life and faith. and, And we don't live our lives, you know, outside of the context of our faith, right? And I'm wondering if you can share with us some of your counseling philosophy as a Christian. And, you know, I'm not really so interested in just like kind of shallow cliches, but just in the in this work that can seem like just such a crazy wild roller coaster dealing with teens' emotions, especially teens' emotions now in this phase of the society that we're in. What is it about your faith that grounds you and, and you know, potentially can ground your clients? I guess what are those truths that you lean on? In, in your counseling practice. Another thing about mental health is that we're designed to do community and be in community together and just like connect. And so one of the scriptures that like helps sustain me and my clients is just Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble a heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And sometimes this world just feels so heavy, even for our teens who are dealing with rejection and friend issues and just navigating the ways of this world and social media and comparison. And so just knowing that like they don't have to do it all on their own and that every week or every two weeks there's a therapist there to help them unload that burden. I've always been convicted by Romans 12.2. I like the message version don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Mm. Instead, fix your attention on God. Mm. You'll be changed from the inside out. Mm. And I think it's so easy to just get stuck in this world and being of this world. And things are hard. We're not living in a fun, joyful world most days, especially the last few years. And so for me, it brings me personal joy to know that like, I'm creating safe space for somebody to come be who they are, connect heart to heart, soul to soul, and like work through something. And that's for me. It's cool for me to just be able to be trusted enough and feel equipped by God that I can create that space for someone. And I have the, you know, the courage because of the war to like ask those hard questions yeah. and sit through that hard stuff. And through you, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that, that God is using you to create that safe space, not only in your office, but like ultimately in the, in the teenager's own skin, mm-hmm. like that's the goal, right? I mean, that's like the ultimate hope is that we can, we can raise and, and foster and, and grow these, these young adults to identify themselves as a, as a child of God first mm-hmm. And just be so secure in that, that no matter what crazy thing the world comes up with next, <laughs> you know, because it will come, that that they can be just so secure in their own, you know, like you said, transformed from the inside out, mm-hmm. that they're so secure in that. That's, that's amazing. 
And that's why I really enjoy working with teens and young adults because they have such resiliency. Mm. They might not express it verbally, but they want to feel better. They want to do things differently. They want to connect. They want to be heard. They want to be seen, right? Mm. And so working with this niche of people, like there is really beautiful results when, oh, wow, I could ask a hard question or I could stand up for myself or I have some self-esteem. It's really like awesome, positive outcomes. That's incredible. I I think I want to end on that kind of hopeful note. So are there are there any resources that you might, you know, recommend like books or podcasts or, you know, parenting websites or anything that you might recommend that can help a parent or a teen get started in just thinking about teens mental health and and how to address it? I have resources when a teen is like really struggling. One awesome thing that's happened in July was that the 988 mm, yes. number came out. Mm-hmm. So then instead of a 911, 988 for mental health and we'll connect you to a counselor and a provider. Yeah. And so that is so yeah. the safe UT app. Mm, say more about that. I'm not familiar. The safe UT app is like an app that you can download on your phone and report different things or just again, get connected with someone and express how you're feeling like very immediately. Like Safe Utah is mm-hmm. like a local mm-hmm. to get counseling help. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pretty big in the schools these days. Okay. There's so many awesome apps out there for helping. The Calm app for meditation, mm. Virtual Hope Box, which is a coping skills app. All of these I'm sure will attach. Yeah. Like let's send me the links to all these. I'll put them in the show notes for sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great way to use your this device we love and hate as a tool for <laughs> for helping through some of these issues. There's workbooks out there that you can have your teen kind of go through like anxiety or body mm-hmm. image or mm-hmm. eating disorder workbooks for teens that yeah. you could get as a parent and that might help you ask some different questions mm-hmm. even sure. if your teen doesn't go through it. Maybe watching different movies such as like How to Save a Life movie and having good deep conversations with your teen. Mm-hmm. The Social Dilemma movie that mm-hmm. we mentioned earlier. At the Christian Center, we have some really holistic approaches where we have neurofeedback, which helps with anxiety and depression. It's a new modality where you get some nodes hooked up to your brain and you Mm -hmm. watch a video that really helps calm and de-escalate you as well as an alpha stem device that you put on your earlobes and that brings your alpha waves back into homeostasis. So just some really cool things. You can check out the Christian Center of Park City website, the mental health area and we have a whole resource list on our website awesome well again i thank you so much for just for your your work that you're doing and just for the time to to come talk to me about it thank you Thank you for listening. Uh, There will be a link to a lot of the resources, all the resources that Katie mentioned. Um, If you would like, we would love for you to give us a rating and push subscribe so that you get notified every time a new episode pops up. Thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you next time.